Praise the Lord. We have read the first 13 chapters of Exodus together. We've seen already one of the most memorable events in the whole book, in the history of the Israelites, rich with meaning, practical application for our lives, and that is the Passover. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, has become the Passover the Passover lamb, the Passover sacrifice. God has passed over us, removing his wrath from us through the blood of his own son. Hallelujah. We come to perhaps the most memorable event in the whole book for centuries this morning in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Haroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. And Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. They will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. See a picture of the devil and Pharaoh over and over again. And the uh, self-deception of Pharaoh and Satan when it appears that the children of God virtually have their backs up against the wall there seems to be no goal God said at that time the enemy will rejoice and pursue with great ferocity thinking that this is the ideal moment for the kill Christian, you may have escaped the devil a number of times, but no more. So the devil would say, and come at fierce speeds to try to overtake our souls. But our father steps in and he completely overthrows the devil. Hallelujah. It says if he pulled the carpet from under his feet when he was coming at us at full speed the very last moment God yanks the carpet sends him flying on his head and God comes in for the kill God is a warrior Moses would say we would read the Lord is a warrior he's a mighty warrior he's an almighty God He's not a weak God, as many people would like to portray him. A God passive, though having might. Our God said, I am. He's very much in the here and now, as well as in eternity. Time itself, itself is in eternity. as well as outside of eternity. 
God is all in all. Pharaoh said they'd be completely overtaken by their situation. I've got them now. Similar to seeing the Lord Jesus on the cross when he instigated and incited people to mock him even at the moment of his greatest suffering and agony. The enemy was full of glee. Dancing as it were. Great joy, I've killed the Son of God. I'm going to destroy him. The Lord came thundering up out of the grave. Making an open show, it says, of all the principalities and powers. He put them to shame. He defeated the devil. The very moment that the enemy thought, I've defeated God, the Son of God, showed who's in control and who's boss. Hallelujah. So God will do with all of our enemies, including fear. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh God, we can cry unto God with His Word. That Word is able to counter anything negative and anything that is deceptive from the enemy to try to make us give up or to walk ever so delicately when God calls us to march into victory. Here's the word of God. He said, everything's mapped out. I know everything that's going to happen. I know what this fellow is going to do. In fact, I'm going to draw this man, this devil, inspired Pharaoh. He's going to stink. Whatever, let him go. Let's go get him. God sets the wicked on slippery places. Slippery slopes. Our God is the living God. He established His supremacy in the eyes of all Israel and in the eyes of all Egypt. With ten plagues. Symbolizing absolute sovereignty, superiority, and victory over all of the Egyptian gods and goddesses. Every demon, principality, that was a dominant force in Egypt, God came and said, you're holding my people in that mess? I'm going to overthrow all of you. Bring my people out. And one last fight where God will show He has the power to deliver utterly. He said, Pharaoh and his army, I'm going to get honor over them. The Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. They were given instruction. They were just finished with hearing the word of the Lord regarding the sanctification of the firstborn. And every step of the way, the Lord was with them. He led them by a cloud, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. 
Every detail was met, including the prophecy of Joseph concerning his own bones being carried up out of Egypt into the promised land. Everything was working out. God will work out everything in our lives. Everything. Hallelujah. How many times have we marveled? Hallelujah. Have you recalled the time when you marveled how God could take care of so many things? So many things that were pressing and worrisome. Things that caused anxiety and fear and how is this all going to work out and who's going to help me in all these things and how can any human possibly help me? It's beyond the reach of human power and intellect. But God comes in. He is sufficient for all things. He's able to do it all. Hallelujah. Job said, I know, God, that you can do all things. Hallelujah. Everything God has purposed will come to pass in our lives, provided we don't act like a coward begin to defect to the enemy's side, begin to believe what the enemy is saying. We need to know one thing, what God is saying, and that's it. I have my marching orders, I go. By faith, with humility, with honesty in my life, with the hesed, the loving kindness, which signifies not just the emotion, but it signifies a duty that is discharged. There's an action behind it. Act of the will. I love God. Because I love Him, I'm going to follow Him. In holiness. I belong to Jesus. I can't do this. I can't do that. Why? Those are all for people who will be sitting in filth. God has rescued me. If we can march... Honesty, humility, holiness, and has said, march by faith. God will take care of everything. Here they're told to camp between a certain place and the sea. When God leads us to a place which seems to be absolutely counterintuitive, it appears to be a dead end, but we remember the God who sees the end from the beginning is the one who's leading us. It's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Because even those who die in the Lord are very much alive now. God will make a way out, provided we're able to listen carefully to every step. And we encourage one another, whether it's husband and wife, children and parents, brother and sister. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let's not do that. Can we say that to our spouses and our children, to our spiritual family? Shall we trust the Lord? Let's trust God. What did God say so far? Have we followed those things? What is he saying for, to us now to do? Let's go. Let's do what he says. When he says to stop, we will stop. That pillar of cloud, or cloud of 
in the day and the pillar of fire by night. Every step, God is willing to lead us. He's not a God that says, I'll lead you one step and you have to figure out the next ten steps. No. He's so faithful. He's always by our side and always leading us. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, verse 5 of Exodus 14, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Can you imagine the preparation and the rustling of the items and the chariots and getting the horses? This was a command from the commander-in-chief of Egypt on short notice. They had to go and get these people now. So the enemy would rile up his forces and the deception that he has will spread to the camp and they will all come to their doom when they come against you and they come against me because we are the children of the living God. Hallelujah. We derive faith from hearing the word as we read it and hear it because God is the same yesterday, today, forever. This Pharaoh took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Faith is being developed in them. We see how they started. Can you note the progress of faith in your lives? Can you note the progress of faith in the past few months? Perhaps the past few hours? When God comes and speaks, when God comes and touches us, there's a transformation. These people that were so afraid, all of a sudden they went out with boldness, even though Satan was up to no good again. God is in full control. Hallelujah. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Piharoth before Baal Zephon. Now, the enemy is coming so close with such a force and such a fury. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid now. Their boldness all of a sudden took a turn out. The fear came in. It's a very human experience. But God has given us a spiritual experience to overtake the human experience. When the temptation comes, remember the word of the Lord. And what they did when they were afraid is they cried out to the Lord. But they said the wrong thing here. It's one thing to be afraid. <clears throat> to be afraid and to be <clears throat> tempted to fear. 
and to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help us, as King Jehoshaphat did and others who loved the Lord. God came to their rescue. But it's quite another to do what these people did here. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, look at the audacity and the choice of words Satan has gotten into their mouths. These people, they were bold and with great exhilaration, anticipation, coming out of Egypt with a great spoil. They came out, but now they started to fear. They started to fear. And instead of saying, Lord, help us, Moses, please ask God what to do next. They're able to come up with these words from the devil. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Speaking against the Lord, who did so many miracles just a short while ago. The plagues could have transpired over a series of months, but so many things happened. And so unmistakable was the hand of divinity in their very real deliverance. And so quickly they begin to grumble and complain and because of fear, giving into the spirit of fear as Pharaoh and his chariots were moved and mobilized by the devil. They're in hot pursuit of the Israelites. Satan tries to come on this end too, to work in who? The people of God. So he can have a corresponding one-to-one -one match and cause a collision and destruction. God in his mercy didn't allow that except for the enemy's people. But they did something here that we should never do complain and murmur against God and doubt God, badmouth God, badmouth God's servant. Because there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of, up out of Egypt? Why did you do this anyway? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? They rather serve the Egyptians than God. Why? The reasoning, satanic reasoning is, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Who brought you out of Egypt bondage for centuries of bondage, from centuries of slavery, of abuse, of emptiness, frustration, nothingness, and loss of identity? With an outstretched arm, so far God is bringing them out. They just witnessed the Passover. So many firstborn of the Egyptians were slain, but their firstborns were spared, sanctified unto the Lord. Wailing was heard in the middle of the night, all across the land, but not in their camp. It's quite a charge verbalized here very obviously brewed up by the devil and they became mouthpieces for the devil 
And they said it would have been better for us to just stay there. We have heard similar things from people who have been blessed. People who have received prophecy and healing and tremendous deliverance begin to badmouth God and God's servants. Wasn't enough just to say, I'm not feeling right, something's not right, but to level charges against God. What's the use of the Christian life anyway? What's the use of me getting saved? What's the use of me being in church, in a spiritual church, where signs and wonders are happening? What's the use? I feel crummy. I feel, I don't know. Where are you? You've been listening to the devil, and that's how you feel that way. Be humble. Watch your attitude. These people, they flipped on God and flipped on Moses. Imagine the Lord, after all that he did and everything that he's taking care of, he could have said, you're going to do this right before I do the greatest miracle you've ever seen? Forget you. He could have just pushed the entire camp to the side and said, Moses, let's go. Taking you and whoever's around that's going to believe. Maybe Joshua and Caleb. We don't have to go through any of this. Right there he could have said, how dare they grumble against me. Go ahead. You want to serve the Egyptians? They're coming to get you. Go hug them. They would have perished. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says in the New Covenant. But we need to understand the depth of the statements they're making. What's behind it all. It's not a simple utterance of despair. These are charges against the living God and against his servant. The Bible not only shows us how we ought to be, it shows us clearly how we ought not to be. Look at the grace of God coming through Moses. It's God. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. No time now to deal with your foolishness. We're going forward. The church is going forward. But you know what? God will remember every word uttered if it's not repented of. And God would try to help these people in the future to stop being like this, but they refuse. Anytime they feel like it, they'll start acting up. Begin to complain and murmur. But they want the blessings too, you see. I'll be a devil for a day or two, or a week, or a month, or 40 years. It's okay. It's my right. I'm who, my, who I am. All about me and Satan, Lucifer's on the throne, happy. Well, God doesn't deal with it here, but he will deal with these things later. It's better to hear the word of God and the voice of God and say, I better snap out of this. I need to follow God wholeheartedly and stop thinking about me and how I feel. Seek to please God, who I claim to serve and live for and live by. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. 
Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I dare say someone may read this section and say, see, the end justifies the means, surely. You don't see the Lord rebuking them here. You say there's such a heavy charge they level against the Almighty. God, spurious charge. It was a whole lie. It was blasphemous. But you don't see God dealing with it here in Moses. So I suppose it's just human nature. They just came out. They didn't know who they were. What They didn't know what they were doing. Oh, they knew what they were doing. They were told clearly who they are. They're God's people. You don't act like this. But they took the liberty to do it. Because God doesn't deal with things on the spot doesn't mean it's okay. We can let that monster develop until it takes over one day. It's very dangerous. We have to watch out. That's why the New Covenant is written, don't grumble as they did and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Murmuring and complaining, being bitter and moody is a very dangerous science. Not only of immaturity, but of the devil moving in and being comfortable. We have to be very careful. These people, they saw the glory of God. They should have thought, we have met the living God. We're going to go after him with all our hearts to do his will. Whatever you have, Lord, I will do. Some people are like that. They have an attitude of gratitude and that keeps them insulated and insured, if you will, against grumbling and backsliding. It's an exhibition of faith to believe God and keep going and do what He says and expect the best. Isn't that faith instead of grumbling and complaining? It's unbelief. So, Let's watch the words we speak and the attitude we have and don't settle for others not saying something or the pastor's not saying something or God not saying anything particular. I guess I'll just coast in this kind of gear for a little while. It's not okay. It's very dangerous. We need to snap out of whatever disobedience and murmuring we can get ourselves into and say, Lord, this can't be part of my life. I'm not going to go and cry somewhere in the wilderness and say, oh, poor me, why me, why am I like this? To come to God and say, Lord, you didn't make me like this. The new creation you made me has nothing to do with this. So I must part from these things permanently. God's grace came immediately through Moses saying, don't be afraid. God's going to fight for you. These people are going to be no more very shortly, you'll see. You should hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? 
apparently he said, Lord, help. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Remember the rod that became the rod of God. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. God has given the means. He's given the power. He doesn't want us to cry when we have the tools and the power. When we have the resources. There's a time to pray and a time to cry out. But for the person who knows God, you see, Moses is intimately acquainted with God. He's getting more and more closer to God. And God is saying, notice the statement. He begins with, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Speak to your situation with faith and say, my God... You're going to open the way for me, hallelujah. Through God, all things are possible. When I speak, I'm going to speak with the love, but also with the authority of God. I'm going to speak trusting the living God. I'm going to speak expecting God to show up, hallelujah. I'm going to expect God to speak. We see things here that we can just miss if we read it casually. Normally we wouldn't expect this kind of statement from the Lord when we see that the people appear to be trapped. The Egyptians are fast approaching. There's a sea over here. God didn't expect these people to say what they said. He would say, you know better. But then God says, why do you cry to me? Tell them to go forward. You use what I've given you. What I've given you. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. God is just revving up the Egyptian war machine. He's just causing their engines to burn hotter and hotter in the pursuit of God's people. They're coming in like a fierce beast, ready to tear the Israelites apart. If you can imagine a lion coming at full speed, this mighty king of the jungle. He is hungry, hasn't eaten for days. And he sees some lambs. Notice, not a herd of sheep, but a couple of lambs. And as he's lurking, his eyes hit the bull's eye. And he begins in hot pursuit. And with every pounce on the ground, every leap. He knows dinner is close at hand. Everything within him 
is as if to say, dinner is served, it's already done, it's a done deal. And the speed and the ferocity, God allows it to come. And at the last moment when the lion's about to pounce on those lambs, God puts a rock right in his face, massive rock. And he gets smashed with the speed at which he comes. He gets smashed on that rock. And he's knocked unconscious, unconscious and he dies. Because he had a head-on collision with a boulder. The last second God put the boulder. And the lion leaped upon his prey. And the prey never got touched, but the lion was no more. That's what God did to these demon-inspired Egyptians. Pharaoh the last possible moment he drew them he drew them and he demolished them our God is a fierce warrior hallelujah aren't you happy about your father in heaven he's a God of justice he won't let us go he won't let the enemy go he won't let us go out of his sight he will protect and defend us he loves us and how much is he born with us B-O-R-N-E when we have leveled charges against him before false charges, tested, question him. Isn't he so merciful? Should we not fear the Lord our God? Again, the Bible says, there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. He's so awesome. His love is so awesome. His power is so awesome. Oh, what a joy to live for God and to fear him, just to follow him. What a thrill. God has forgiven us much. And we read about these Egyptians. We may have read this Exodus story many, many times. But we must make sure that we don't grumble against God. And also, don't cry to God when God already has told us what to do. How many times will we cry to God? And I don't know what to do. I don't know what happened. We're just fooling ourselves. Failure is not from God. It's because we opened the door somewhere. We did something shady. We tested him. We try to go closer to the periphery, the boundaries, and see how far we can go. That's what brings trouble. I need to determine, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to get outside of God's will. I want to be right in the center of his will. In the blame game, all of these things come in, eventually blaming God himself as well as his servant. But here Moses told, do what I've given you to do. And these people will come, they will follow, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God says emphatically, repeatedly, I'm going to do something now. I've done a lot of things in your life. Now it looks like it's all over. I'm going to show my glory. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them 
and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. God is closing in for the kill, to destroy, to defeat, to overthrow the enemy. God is the one who originated Hesed. He's the one who had originated loving kindness. Again, which implies because of genuine compassion, there's an action that follows. Just as he expects in us, if we love God, we need to follow his commandments. All of them. None of them are optional. God commits himself to us entirely without reservation. How great he is. Who are we? Dust. God gives us such worth and prominence that we should be called the children of God. We should be considered the army of God. These people hardly had any identity going for them. And he says, I'm going to bring my army out of Egypt. My hosts. He came to Gideon when he was cowering in fear. He said, I'm the least of the least. Who am I? I can't do this. But the angel of the Lord came and said, you mighty man of God. How beautiful God is. How encouraging he is. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. I'm on the scene. I've come to you now. You have an encounter with God. There's going to be a transformation unless the person is not worthy. Begins to continue to complain. God tolerates a lot. He puts up with a lot from us. But he doesn't want us to keep getting rebuked and punished and go through the cycle. As mentioned, it's not just a waste of time and energy. There's a danger involved. And this is where, it must be emphasized here, many, many people, I've heard many commentaries and preachers. Disobedience is not a such a big issue. You see, it's going to cost you time, perhaps, and money, energy, usefulness. Um, you're not going to be happy. Who would want to be unhappy anyway? It's not fun to disobey, so let's obey. And That's not the whole story. Disobedience brings death. Death begins. Adam and Eve disobeyed and death began. And it holds true to this day for everyone, including and especially the child of God. Being in the light, enjoying his freedom, walking with him, if we have ever been born again to begin with. To defy God and disobey and open the door to the devil and have coffee with the devil is to begin the process of decay and death until we're recovered, as you saw clearly at the end of James chapter 5. need to know there's not only a loss and a lack that we bring upon ourselves. A death can come and begins. Oh, that people would speak the whole truth. To be given the whole truth so that we know who we're dealing with and how we should not be. To have the fear of God. God is acting here. He's on the move. He said, I'm going to do this. And God is full of zeal. He's not a passive God. And God says, oh, well, I guess I have to deliver them. I told them I would. And 
here let me just kind of get on over here strategize a little bit and hit the bullseye and it's over okay you're safe now go through the Red Sea and I'll meet you praise God some very important lessons we're learning I was just saying that the angel of God began to move and it means terror for the enemy because God is going near he's defending his people Pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. God's presence was shifting to protect his people. He had to solve this problem here before they can go forward. God knows exactly what to do and to do it. So it came, this pillar of cloud, between the camp of the Egyptians in the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. It seems so close, yet so far. Because of God, he kept the enemy at bay. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. How many of us have been near the sea? Surely all of us. It's just that air and the sounds and the vastness, depending upon what beach you visit, the vastness of that sea and that ocean. And Moses stretched out his hand over that. Imagine that. You on the beach. You see someone stretching out a rod and the waters divide right in front of your eyes. You're awestruck. My God, what is going on here? I've never seen anything like this before. And the ground is not at all swampy. It's completely dry. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. These miracles, particularly in Exodus, are contested by a lot of people and affirmed by a lot of people. And the people that contest them, they fall into two camps actually, in case you didn't know. One camp absolutely denies the record altogether. They say these are all fables. It never happened, first of all. And the second camp has a further subdivision within it. And that is, those people in the second camp, some of them actually claim to be Christians and believers in God, or at least believers in the miracles recorded here. And among them are scientists and some of the leading scientists. One of them I saw an elderly man in England who was acknowledged by the Queen and he's a professor of physics and he has some contraption, some unit that he made that is the only one of its kind in the world on the cutting edge 
of scientific invention. And I saw his interview and he said, for everything there's a naturalistic explanation. You see, we know the wind and the force of the wind and what it can do to the water and what kind of currents can come. And, and he went further to the part in the book of Exodus where it speaks of God speaking from the mountain and the smoke and the furnace. And he said, well, that's a volcano. Then the question about the trumpet sound getting louder and louder, he said, well, there's a Roman historian and he recorded that there was a volcano erupting and it sounded like trumpets. And he's sitting there, this man, must be in his 80s, with all this accolade from man, writing books. And when the interviewer said, well, so you don't think they're miracles? You have all these naturalistic explanations? He said, oh, no, no, no. I believe they're miracles. You see, it's in the timing. How self-deceived. How deceptive. To say, I believe in miracles, and I believe the book of Exodus, these things happen. There's a naturalistic explanation. And uh, for every effect, there's a cause, and all these things were sensed by the senses that these people had. There had to be a sensible explanation in nature. And there is. I do believe in miracles. No question, they're miracles. And the timing was what, it, what made it the miracles. You might as well say that... God needed help from nature and he waited for the natural forces to decide what to do when they wanted to do it. And then he stepped in and he put it all together at the last second. An impotent God of their own imagination. It was so pathetic to see this man try to pretend that he's a believer in the Exodus story, hence a believer in the Bible, and a believer in God, but to discount the absolute miracle power of God in every portion of the events that happened here. I wonder what natural forces he would use to explain the hardening of Pharaoh's heart as recorded in Scripture. What natural force got into his heart? And there's another subset of that second category of people who say, no, these things really happen. And they say, there's no God involved here. They're historical records, we believe that. Naturalistic explanations with timing that just happened to come along. Nothing further. There's no God behind it. It happened. But there's no God behind it. In plain record of scripture, 
the attestation from the Lord Jesus himself, many infallible proofs for anyone who would sincerely come to God and say, Lord, I'm a big zero. I'm empty. I know nothing. You are Almighty God who created everything. As Job found out, I put my hand on my mouth, Lord. I repent in dust and ashes. To think that I would come and try to reason with you and argue with you. Oh, Lord, forgive me. God is awesome. There are others who said they found chariot wheels in the sea of uh, Aqaba, Gulf of Aqaba, by Saudi Arabia. And so many things fit what is written in Exodus that they said there's evidence. Perhaps the location is not exactly what we thought it was, but we have plenty of proof that this really happened because there's no explanation. How do you find so many cherry wheels in the midst of the sea? And other things that corroborate with the Exodus story. We know one thing. Over and over and over again, archaeology keeps confirming the Bible, particularly in the last hundred or so years even beginning with about 150, 200 years ago. The vast amounts of artifacts and pieces of pottery and texts that are recovered, carved in stone, and so many things that just show that these civilizations and the people describe when for so many centuries they said it, it can't be. There's no such thing. It's a fairy tale. The whole Bible is a fairy tale. Now many, many skeptics have admitted there's something here more than meets the eye for sure because things are just turning up. The house of David, that there is a David, there's an Abraham in Mesopotamia. At least from the treaties and the things that are described, the similarity in civilizations that actually existed. Extra-biblical sources that they swear by, these atheists and agnostics. Now they see what the Bible said happened at a certain time and how those people behaved and what the events were. So many things have backup from archaeology. For those who don't believe the Word of God, but isn't it far simpler to come to God and say, Lord, I surrender all. I don't need any physical proof. The greatest transformation that I can witness to say that God exists is that of my own heart. And then everything I see, nature, things, as the psalmist says in Psalm 131, Lord, I don't concern myself, concern myself with things too high for me. It's just beyond me, Lord. I'm going to be humble and trust you. These people witnessed a tremendous miracle. God made that sea to be moved back by a strong east wind and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. 
it's one thing to see this depicted in a film, and certainly that adds to our understanding, our perception through our senses, audiovisual. It's another thing to be there for sure. And our imagination actually is so powerful that it can go beyond any Hollywood depiction of these events, especially when we're guided by the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, the smell and the feeling, the awe of being there, we are transported not merely by imagination, but by the Spirit of God to take us into the situation. We can relive it in measure, so the same awe can come upon us to know how great our God is, what He actually did. When we actually step into it by faith and we're obedient to God, God will take us deeper and deeper to feel these verses and to feel the acts of God that He did in a far greater measure than we are accustomed to. Even when watching films with the high-tech effects of how this could have happened and how it would have appeared. And, and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army. Notice the setting, the time. All night. All night. It was a pillar of cloud by day, but then the cloud and darkness produced light to the camp of Israel, and it was dark to the enemies. The miracle work of God. And it continues... We're now in the early morning hours. This drama is going on. And the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled that army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Elohim is the common word that's used for God by even non-Israelites. But here, the Egyptians acknowledged Yahweh. They heard about Yahweh, the God that is so personally acquainted with Israel, they said, Yahweh is now fighting for them. We have to run. He's the one that did the plagues. Now he's coming after us. We have to go. But God already started to take off their chariot wheels. God sees how the enemy brought fear and tries to bring fear, bring fear upon his children. And he makes sure that he brings fear upon them. What you sent to my people, 
sending it back to you in full measure. God is a God of justice. He took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily, it says in the King James. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. God is establishing Moses' rightful leadership over these people because they had problems with that. He could have done it without Moses stretching out his hand before or after. But he anointed him and he used him. And the people acknowledged this is a servant of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. It's too late for the Egyptians. The enemy thought he had the people of God cornered. It's too late for you, people of God and your God. God said, now it's too late for you. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. What God did, this redemption for Israel in the Exodus story, He does for His people over and over and over again. What He did for His people, He will do for us again. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, whatever we're facing, chariots, horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh, all of this force that seems to be too much for us. There are things that are standing against our progress. The devil is not happy. He's furious. He doesn't want us to go forward. He'll bring feelings. He'll bring backslidden attitudes or attitudes of backsliding. He'll bring uh, boredom and feelings of whatever. No gratitude. Hardened heart, just like the world, or even worse, because now we know the truth and we are working against the truth by having grumbling, complaining attitude, trying to do things our way, saying, God, would you bless my plan? Would you bless this? Would you bless that? Instead of saying, Lord, what did you want me to do? Your plan is the blessed plan. How can I get into that, Lord? When things come against us to prevent our progress, the Lord said, I will help you. I'll be there for you. Don't fear. Don't complain. Believe me. Go forward. He took care of the enemy here. Finally. This enemy that was so stubborn and wouldn't let go, kept harassing like a wild dog. Keep biting and biting and trying to harass. Finally, the Lord kicked him in the face. It was over. We have these stray dogs. I remember when I visited India, I was warned about it. You go on a motorcycle or a scooter in certain areas in the open spaces, going from maybe one town to another. You have these pack of stray dogs coming. And often they'll catch hold of the leg of the person on the motorcycle. 
start to do some damage. But there are those motorists who are prepared. They know what to do. Those dogs don't bother them anymore. The enemy is not only like a roaring lion. He's like a nagging dog, stray dog, a wild dog that comes to harm people who don't do anything to it. Something that is a long-standing problem, some harassment that doesn't seem to cease. It took ten plagues and still the enemy was pursuing. Months of God's supernatural intervention and devastation of the land. And he's not giving up. When will this guy ever stop and when is he going to get out of our lives? This was the final showdown. It was over. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. God made sure every last one of them were no more. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God made sure their eyes would see their desire upon their enemies. Every word of God is true. Not just the record of what happened, but the word of faith that God records in the Psalms and elsewhere. That God would make sure that our enemies become our footstool, just like He promised the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God will make sure that we see our desire upon our enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant, Moses. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter of victory. Hallelujah. There's victory in you, Lord, for each one of us who would believe and continue to sing your praises, shout your praises, Lord, not to go by feelings, but by faith in the living word of the living God. Thank you, Lord, that like the Egyptians, Lord, washed up on the seashore, dead, not struggling to live or swimming still, crawling. You wiped out the enemy. Hallelujah. The enemy that came to kill your people, Take them back into bondage. Lord, you promised to deliver us, Lord, from all of our troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. These people, Lord, they complain. You overlooked their transgression, Lord. You're so faithful. You're so good. But Lord, you dealt with them later. And Lord, sadly, they grieved you so much. They hurt you, Lord, for all the good that you did and you had to overthrow them finally. But here we see your grace, tremendous grace. You had great hope for them, Lord. 
And for us, we're in a different position as well as a similar position. We are your children by covenant through the blood of the Lamb of God, but we are born again. We have the Holy Spirit available. We have the Word of the Scripture, the Word of God. Lord, all 66 books and records of your mighty dealings and within those records, your faith and comfort, encouragement, your direction for us day to day until we reach heaven's shore. Very much alive. Hallelujah. I pray, Lord, help us to see what you're up to today, what your plan is, and to wait for your signal. And when you say go forward, to go forward. When you say stand still, to stand still. And always believe you, ask you, as you said in Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you didn't know. Thank you that your promises are good, Lord. They stand today. Blessed be your holy name, O righteous King. Make our path smooth today, Lord. Every path straight, Lord. Bless everyone, Lord. Help no one, Lord, to be disenchanted, to be disillusioned, to be bored with life and thinking, where am I and why am I? Why have I lost the zeal for God that I once had? And why do I feel down? Why are there periods of down feelings? Lord, I pray that you quicken us as we read how zealous you are for us to defend us. You promised that you are going away to prepare a mansion for us. And you said, if you go away, you're going to come back to take us to be with you, to live with you forever. And the way we see the things happening in this world, the day is coming very quickly. Help us, Lord, to encourage each other, as the Bible says in Hebrews, while we see the day approaching, it's coming, that we all would be faithful to assemble together, to seek your face, to hear your truth, and to live by the truth. Because apart from that, the alternative is to go back to our old ways. And help us to learn from the Israelites that we don't entertain any doubt whatsoever. Not a word, not a thought against your purposes in us and your love for us and your promise to follow through, to deliver us from every obstacle, whether it be through some demonic direct assault Deliver us and destroy the power of the enemy. Whether it be through human beings, whether it be through circumstances, Lord, when we may lose something or wait for something that's being held up. You are God. Oh, Father, help us to speak by faith, to live by faith, and to see you come through. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your loving kindness for us. We thank you for this day. I pray that you help us to have a heart full of thanksgiving because you are a mighty warrior, a great God and Savior. We praise and thank you 
Give good success, Lord, to those who have the day ahead of them on this time zone. And those, Lord, who are retiring for the night to know that they're safe in your arms and that you're waiting to speak to them, Lord, in the night visions, night dreams. Help us all to listen keenly for your voice, for your signal that we can make the right move and take the right step exactly, perfectly aligned with your path of righteousness. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for providing for us, Lord, food, Father, things that we take for granted, those who are relatively rich compared to most of the world who don't have proper meals every day. They just don't have. Many of them go to bed hungry. But you've given us, Lord, who are we? As you told Israel, there's nothing special about them. It's all of your grace. So we must confess the same thing, Lord. We have homes, we have food, we have clothing. With all of our difficulties and whatever challenges we have, we are so blessed. Have us be grateful to you, Lord, that you may bless us even more to be a blessing to you and to others. Lord, help us not to be self-centered like these people, these Israelites. Not to grumble or complain, but to be praising you. They exhibited faith sometimes when they should have exhibited all the time because you've shown your power. Help us to keep trusting you, keep praising you. We thank you for the victory today and tomorrow. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.